hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I sat down with Steve Weiss, the founder and CEO of Mute6. Founded in 2014, Mute6, now an iProspect company, is an award-winning full-funnel digital and creative studio providing intelligent ad solutions that grow disruptor brands into enterprise market leaders. As the most awarded Facebook advertising agency with more Facebook and Instagram marketing case studies than any other agency, Mute6 was recently acquired by Densu Egus Network in 2019. In this episode, Steve shares with us his incredible journey, starting from his humble beginnings growing up in New Jersey, to accidentally punching his principal at school, which led to a discovery of digital marketing and the development of his first company selling mortgage leads to mortgage companies. We talk about his experience working in the stockroom at Victoria's Secret, his stint as a stand-up comedian, and how running ads on Facebook to bring people to his comedy shows in LA led him to create Mute 6, growing the business 265% year over year and ultimately getting acquired. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for being on the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm super excited to hear your entrepreneurial journey in building Mute 6 and then ultimately getting acquired last year. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's start from the very beginning. Where are you from originally? From Freehold Borough, New Jersey. So I'm from the central, very humble, small little town in the middle of central New Jersey, uh, very working class. There's a uh, one famous person from our town, from our from Freehold. There's a, a very small star that probably not a lot of people have heard of, but I'll, I'll say his name just in case Lee, you might have heard of him because some people know him, some people don't. And uh, it's a guy named Bruce Springsteen. He's very small, very like a local hero. And uh, <laughs> so you know, I come from that kind of working class Jersey kind of upbringing. And uh, yes, yeah, found my way out to Los Angeles somehow. And, I got well, let's start with childhood. What was it like growing up there? And did you have any siblings? And an older, an older sister. I had a single mother, and I had a an incredible stepfather who didn't live with me, but he was he was an incredible guy. And uh, I always felt lucky. My mom worked three jobs. I didn't see her very often. I was kind of shuttled from babysitter to babysitter, and it was. But yeah, at the same time, like. I always felt like I had everything. And I think when you have someone at a young age who like looked out for you and like I had you know, all my friends were the kids who babysitted me from like first grade to eighth grade, you know, we played, played sports, we, you know, basketball, and football, and, you know, acted like kids. We were a bunch of, uh, 
stupid kids growing up in Jersey. And uh, but we we had fun, you know, and nothing but happy memories. And uh, yeah, I wasn't the best. I guess one memory, like or series of memories, like from my childhood, is that I wasn't always like the best athlete or basketball player. But you know, we we'd go, me and a bunch of friends, we would go to uh, go play five on five basketball, and it was a, you know, it was a big thing. We're all like super competitive people. We all wanted to wanted to win, and I always wanted to guard the best person on the other team. And I not only wanted to guard the best person on the other team, but I wanted to shut down the best person on the other team. And it was it was always like weird because I was never like the best person on, on my team. And they were like, "Yo, why do you want to like why do you want to guard the best person? You're not even the best person on our team." And and I think like that kind of chip on your shoulder of like not you know not always having everything for you. I looked at my other friends. You know, they had a mom and a dad. They had this. They had everything kind of like laid out perfectly for them and like a clear path. You know, I'm going to go from elementary school to middle school to high school to college to success. And for me, like I was, I never had any of that. And I think part of the reason why I'm you know, where I'm at today is like, I learned to carve out the path. And also I wanted, I wanted to tackle the biggest challenges and the biggest problems. So every day, like in business, like it's, I'm not scared of dealing, you know, in my world of dealing with the tough clients or, or making the big decisions. I think it's second nature to me because I've always, since I was a kid, gone after like problems and the biggest challenges out there. And so where did the confidence come from to do that, to go after big challenges, to go after the guy on the team that was doing super well? Where does that come from? I think it was like, I think it's a chip on your shoulder. I, I, I don't, I don't, it's weird. You call it confidence and I, I call it survival. It's almost like, you know, I've seen a lot of like, tragedies growing up. There was people that, uh, that I cared about that OD'd on drugs and a lot of people that you know, sold drugs and a lot of like just stuff that like, you know, when you grow up in this kind of lower to middle income soup bowl, you see like a lot of stuff. And like, mm-hmm. even me, like, I got involved with the wrong people and I've had very traumatic events. You know, I've had a, a gun held to my head I, I, when I was 14. And I think a lot of the confidence very simply just comes from being alive and every day feeling like I got a second chance at being successful because coming to California, I felt like in a way it was my second chance because Jersey was you know, a bit falling apart when I was leaving. A lot of, you know, my close friends have, have moved on to other places because there is, you know, it's a very difficult place now to really grow up and be successful. Yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid? Um, what did I want to be? I think, you know, I went through phases. I think an FBI agent was one. Like, I always thought, like, I'd be like, fighting against the criminals and you know then when i was selling drugs at 13 or 14 i was one of the criminals so that that idea went, uh, went away pretty quick uh, <laughs> uh i think you know there was an nba basketball player which you know wasn't most likely the best the best idea to go go after because i wasn't athletic and i uh, couldn't really jump i did have a jump shot but that that was one um i think you know, for a long, for a little while, I wanted to be a fireman. But then I wasn't really good with fire, so I didn't really. I got kind of scared of fire, so figured like, you know, if you're a fireman, you have to, you have to not be scared of fire. That's like one of the prerequisites to be good at the job of like climbing up ladders and don't be intimidated by the fire. Put the fire out. You know, then then the, there was ideas around becoming a teacher, but I wasn't educated enough. There was ideas around becoming a comedian, but I wasn't funny enough. I had all these ideas that like 
because I wasn't good at any of those things, I ended up in digital marketing. How <laughs> <laughs> the hell did that happen? Um, Where did it start? Where did your interest in in digital marketing, where did did that come from? I I didn't really have an interest. It was, uh, I mean, I don't have a college diploma. I don't have any of the prerequisites on the, you know, when you you look at a prerequisite on a job form of, oh, do you have a psychology degree? Do you have a, what is your bachelor's of arts degree in? And I, I didn't have any of that. So I guess how I got started in internet marketing was very, very humbling. I had really, really you know, fucked up teeth and my teeth were like, kind of like in a line, like in like a line to drink water at a water fountain. They were like kind of like right behind each other. It was really, it was really bad. They were very dysfunctional is, is the word to use. And uh, my mom saved up for years. Like she literally saved up for years to give me braces and had my braces on from like 13 to 15. And uh, I got my braces off and my teeth were beautiful. Life was good. And I came back, you know, after doing my bad deeds of life and, my teeth two of my teeth got knocked out i remember walking in the house to my mom who had just you know my mom was like my hero she's the only one who ever believed in me and you know besides my stepdad and you know walking in the house with uh two of my teeth in my hand and blood everywhere was kind of <laughs> the, the lowest point of my life almost to this day and seeing like what are you doing like, what happened to your teeth and uh you know after that i promised never to never to get on the wrong side of of uh, you know, never do anything illegal anymore, never do anything shady. So, because what happened probably, to your teeth again? I, I got I got knocked out. You got so, knocked out. Were you in a fight? No, no. He so he put a pistol to my head and he, oh and my he god! Didn't, he didn't shoot me, which thank God I wouldn't be here right now. But he he hit me with the gun and stole all my all my money and he took my driver's license and he said that if I ever like told anyone that he would him and his guys would come get me and stuff. So that, that was. I'll never forget that moment. Um, that was like the turning point of my life. So I kind of promised my mom and my, myself that I would never do any hustling or do anything to get in trouble or anything. I'm going to be a nice boy. And, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I still got in trouble. Um, so a year later, I, I, um, I was cutting class and I was just acting stupid and got, got in kind of like a little, a little fight. This is a sophomore year of high school or junior year of high school. And, I got in school suspension. And that was for, you know, think of this, like you're, you're a social being and you're locked in a computer lab for eight days. And mm-hmm. it was terrible. It was, uh, you know, and why'd you get locked in there? What'd you do wrong at school? I was just, just if, if I said on the podcast, it would definitely hurt the brand. You know? No, <laughs> I don't think there's anything that can hurt you I now. A, I, was a, I was a bad kid. I was a, <laughs> I, um, what I do, I, I, I kind of, I think I think this this thing I did was uh, by accident. I got in a fight with someone, and I, I wasn't a good fighter either, so I'm not a good confrontational fighter. But I think someone hit me in the face um, and threw a snowball at me, and I turned around to like punch him back. And by accident, the principal got in the way of the punch and got hit and caught the punch. And I you think punched that, the principal. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, I, was, I wasn't aiming for. It. For them, but uh, you know, she got and it was it was really bad. It was just that's why I don't. That's why I was like the worst fighter ever. I just, I just couldn't. You know, like, he had great timing. I had bad timing. So anyway, the, 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 to make the long story short, I got locked in the computer lab, and um, I was really bored. And I and I started teaching myself how to code. So I'm sitting there like nothing to do, and 
I learned about, you know, how to code in C++, self-taught C++, self-taught CGI, and I learned Java, JavaScript. Um, and before long, and I also learned Unix shell commands. So before long, I was like, this is, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. I was like, you know, like playing around, hacking into stuff and like, you know, using shell command and, you know, being hanging out in the IRC. And uh, that's how I got into digital marketing was I, there was a group in the IRC which uploaded programs that would connect to AOL chat rooms and, and they, they said that you can make money by like sending out unsolicited email in AOL chat rooms. And that's how I got started. So <laughs> I was like, wow, there's an opportunity. And I just seized the opportunity. Then I, then at the same time, Google AdSense or Google AdWords was coming out. This was 2003 and I was selling mortgage leads. So I didn't know what a mortgage was, but I was generating leads by <laughs> sending out emails into AOL to get people to fill out a form. I was getting paid $20 for a lead form. And then I was like, wow, this Google AdWords thing, this is like a game. It's so interesting. It's like I bid on a keyword and like then someone clicks on it and then buys, I get paid. Mm -hmm. I started like really like becoming really good at like Google because I had just arbitraging Google, buying a, a click and then turning it into a lead. And that's, that's how I got started in digital marketing. I was, I think I was 16 and um, locked in a computer lab. Wow. And all because you punched the principal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, whoever the principal was, like, I, I apologize. I, I didn't mean to, to do that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a really bad situation. <laughs> I love how punching your principal now leads you to like a whole new path for I a career. I didn't mean to do it. I, I'm not a violent person. I hopefully don't, people don't listen to this podcast. It was an accident. You were blindfolded, you know, you're just like, well, I got, I got, so if you're from the East coast, you, you know, like the, did you grow up on the East coast? Delaware. Yeah. Delaware. So you get it. Like you get hand to head with a snowball. It's an unpleasant yeah. experience. It's just it the, you can make the argument that it's one of the worst experiences in your life. It's the like first ice time. in your face. Yeah. Ice, and it was like a hard snowball. It was like, you know how like the snow becomes like ice over, over days when it gets right. like dirt in there. It was like a dirt ice snowball. Oh God. And it, was, and it smacked me like right in the forehead. And I was like, at first you're like, why would any like rational person throw an ice <laughs> dirt snowball at me? And uh, right. you know, that's how it all started. So you know, now I'm in LA, I'm safe. I don't see, no one can throw snowballs at me because you know, there is no snow. But no like, snow. I'm sure if there was, like, you know, don't ever do that to anyone. It's not nice. <laughs> and it could result in punching someone that you didn't mean to punch. No, yeah, like, she, she, was, she literally jumped right. It was, it was almost like she's, like, she's, like, she's jumped right in the middle of it. I didn't mean to. Like, I was just, you know, you know I was, but... Granted, like, I didn't really have the best of luck back then. You know, I wasn't one of those guys that, like, oh, look, he's so lucky. It, you know, it, and, and I think at the end of the day, like, it dropped the expectations that people had of me, I think, as a kid. I think that, you know, growing up, I mean, the reason, one of the reasons why I think I'm successful is because a lot of people had very low expectations of me. They thought that I would go to jail and that I was a bad kid, that I, didn't, I was an under, misguided youth. So, like, when people have low expectations of you, when you just are able to, like, you know, take all that, kind of like energy of negativity and just really reposition it. It really, it really humbles you and it gives you the, the kind of step up to be successful. 
Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about a new report we're launching here at Future Commerce in partnership with Gladly called The New DIY. It's all about the new trend that has emerged around the passion economy and modern consumption, which begins with peer inspiration, continues with product education, and culminates into participation or an online purchase. The report covers how these trends start on social media, the importance of great customer experience across all brands, regardless of industry, and the implications this trend has on retailers. You can get the full report today over at futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. That's futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. So it sounds like you didn't go to college. What happened after high school? No, I, I did go to college. Oh, I did. I, I, did, I did go to college and I, and I like, I went to many different colleges. I, I tried, I tried them all. Like I, I, I didn't really have, you know, I, I went to college so much that. How many years were you in college? Like, you know, five or six, maybe seven. Like, I was kind of like, you know, I started at St. Peter's, which is in Jersey City, which is really close to where I grew up. Then I went to East Carolina University. I went down North Carolina for a couple of years. That didn't work out. I just, I'm really good at making friends, I feel like. And I I just, and I I had too much fun and I would just like make friends and not go to class. And, you know, the whole class part of college wasn't something I was like a fan of. I was just... I always felt like it was like the challenge of college wasn't about like doing good in school. The challenge of college was staying in school when doing the least amount of work. <laughs> right, right. So did you figure it out or what no, happened? No, no, you I, was, go? I was, uh, so I was very, I was very fixated like at, at the time of making money online. So I had a couple of businesses that were making me like a lot of money. And I had this, I guess, like selfish ego, like, I'm already making more money than a lot of the professors, pretty much all the professors at that time. Like, what could they teach me? And like, so it, it was a really wrong ego to have. But at the time I had a business that was doing, you know, many million dollars a year in revenue and like in profit. So I didn't really take college. For, I took college for, for granted that I didn't apply myself. And I didn't see the purpose in it at the time. I was like, oh, I'm doing well. I'm going to have to go have fun and, make this the funnest time of my life. So I, I went to North Carolina, then I then I went to Florida, <laughs> and then I, went to, then I went back up to, then I, then I went to uh, back up to New Jersey, and I kind of like probably went to six or seven colleges and uh, tried my hand at all of them. Meanwhile, making a lot of money, it sounds like doing marketing. Yeah, doing marketing. It, was, it was crazy. It was just 2006, 2007. It was my first kind of company I started. I had... 15 employees and we were doing, we were selling mortgage leads to mortgage companies. And it was, it was just insane. The amount of traffic and leads like we're doing through our system that we built, we were processing three to 4,000 leads a day and then reselling them to mortgage companies. And it was, it was one of those things where the amount of money was just, I've never seen that amount of money. And then it all, it all went away really quick. So (laughs) the money went away. Everything went away. The whole business died in 2007. How? How'd that uh, happen? The mortgage crisis. So like all the all the companies. So I went from like crushing it to like owing people money because all the companies oh. we were selling leads to went out of business. And they couldn't pay their bills. So you had these 15 employees. You were making lots of money, and then kind of tanked because yeah, the economy. They all, they all had it. Yep. They all they all bye bye. Like the whole thing. The whole. It, it, it like it, it kind of like humbles you. It kind of makes you like, because at the time I think it, I think it was very purposeful the way it went down. Because I, I don't think I, I liked the person that I was back then. I don't think I, I like respected that person. And like 
I thought that every selfishly, everything I touched turned to gold online. I thought I was the best digital marketer. I thought I could, you know, literally accomplish anything. And like, I don't know, it was a, it definitely was a humbling experience to like, to like then go out looking for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Now what? So wait, how, so tell us about, um, what's one of the biggest things you learned in having that business? What was the big takeaway? Um, I didn't know anything about accounting. I, I didn't know anything about finance and I relied on people to do a lot of the stuff, which, which I thought I was really good in one area. I was really good at digital marketing. And I think like, as I look back on my success as a marketer and as a founder, I think that you're more, you bring more value as a, as a, as a business owner than a digital marketer. And I think like, as you, as people start progressing and building their own business, it's so important to, to reconfigure yourself to, to looking at things from a much bigger picture and like seeing like the purpose and like seeing like all the stuff that you should be focusing on in your business instead of just fixating on the stuff that you're really good at. I, I don't think that you should only focus on the things that you're really good at. I think you should focus on the things that are going to grow the business. And I think back then, like I thought that I was just a great marketer and I relied on a lot of other people to do everything else. And that was obviously the wrong formula for success. All right. And so now you have to go out and get a job. How does that go? Yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, I ended up, uh, it's funny. I ended up up like kind of looking for about a year at the time I took a break and I ended up working part-time in New Jersey at Victoria's Secret. <laughs> as like a retail associate? Yeah, there's a retail, no, like the stock room in the back. Uh-huh. And, um, and then, you know, it's, I'm like, it was the first time I've ever had a job before and it was for three or four months. It was like three months, but it was like, it was during the holiday season, 2007. And it was, it was like a humbling experience. It was cool, like just being around people. And then from there, I, uh, I went into stand-up comedy and I just, I kind of started doing open mics and started like talking about the experiences of a guy working at Victoria's Secret. A lot of my skits, early comedy skits were like, you know, what is it like to be a guy working in the soccer at Victoria's Secret? And this was in New York, I assume, because you were living yeah, in New York, New York, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey. And how was that going for you at the time? <laughs> It's terrible. It's tough. It was uh, it's a, hard. Stand-up comedy is hard. Yes. My yeah. sister tried it out, and it's like very intimidating to do that. I give her so much credit I mean, for trying. I think, I think you have to like laugh at yourself. I think a lot of a lot of comedy is like taking a look at your life and like like poking fun at it and just say, "Oh, that was really stupid. Why'd you do that?" And I think comedy for me was like it kind of was like a way for me not to grow up. I was always, I never like thought of like being an adult. I was always like, kind of like, I always had a very soft sense to me. And like comedy was a place like where you could just tell jokes and just make, get, make people laugh and like feel good about the situation. And, you know, the time, you know, you're 20, I was 24, 25. I was kind of like lost in career. I had what was a very painful experience of starting a business and seeing it die. Right? You know, you always think of yourself as someone like a success by the action of you doing it. Well, I didn't, I didn't think I was successful anymore. I didn't think I could run a company. I didn't think I, I didn't have any confidence in myself. So it was really, I guess it was really difficult to like swallow the pill of like realizing that like I had to rebuild myself and rebuild my life. And that's what comedy did. It kind of was like my way of like, like become, you know, trying something new and like, you no, know, 
and like not not being so serious all the time. Mm. Interesting. And so, how long were you doing comedy? Uh, three years, four years. So I did it from twenty five full time. Um, I did it every day, almost like every day, and until uh, wow. twenty eight or twenty seven. I think I was twenty seven. I moved to two two years later. I moved to L A. and and I wanted to do comedy out here. I want to do improv and comedy. And surprisingly, I was actually kind of funny. And, you know, I, I thought it had some potential, but yeah, I was wrong again, you know? And, and, <laughs> so you tried your shot at some comedy in LA and you're, what kind of made you realize you didn't want to do it anymore? Or what did you do from there? So I moved to LA in 2000, 2012, I think, 2013. And I was, uh, you know, my stepfather just passed away in Hurricane Sandy. Oh, my wow. mom was really sad. They were supposed to get married. It was just, it was just a very, very depressing point in my life. And I know I needed to like reinvent myself and try again. And I moved to LA and I was, at first I was homeless. Um, I lived in my car. I drove my car into 24 hour fitness and my mom was nice enough to ship my Toyota Camry in 1998 to, uh, to LA. And I drove my car into a uh, 24 hour fitness and parked it, fell asleep and woke up took a shower and drank coffee and did work. It was pretty, it wasn't as bad as it seemed, but, uh, you know, it was very, very humbling. And I was, I was running ads on Facebook to get people to come to comedy shows because in, in, um, in LA, you need to do what you call bringer shows where you bring people to your shows. So, you know, I was really good at creative and editing videos and, you know, I, I filled up rooms, not because I was good, but because I was a good marketer. <laughs> <laughs> and, so you uh, maybe could get them in the room but they may not come back is that what you're trying to say exactly so turn you know the best advice i got in my career was you're you're a lot better marketer than you are a comedian and i was like oh, who said up. that was that this yeah. a random friend or a close friend it was, a, it was a owner of a comedy club that, I, that they let me perform at you know they oh, knew wow. I was so you know one thing leads to another and i meet i meet someone in la who asked me like steve do you want to market my e-commerce shop on facebook and at the time i didn't i didn't you know i didn't really think that like oh i could do ads for other people and make money it, it didn't really occur to me that this is a scalable mechanism to do business it just didn't maybe, maybe i should have had more foresight into it but i was like sure i'll do it and um and I didn't know how to build them. So I asked, like, I knew a guy who ran an agency that I, that I like, had a mutual place. And I was like, how do you, like, how do you, like, build someone to run ads for them? And they told me that I need to build a percentage of advertising spend. So it occurred to me that, you know, I started running their ads. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have success. And they spent, in a given month, almost $450,000. And I was told that the advice I got was I need to build this person 10% of spend. So I ended up like sending an invoice for $45,000. And I remember it was like, I was like, is this guy going to like pay this invoice? Is this, is this normal? And, and that he paid the invoice, but then he, then he like, you know, then he like fired me the next day. <laughs> Why did he like, fire you? Because it was too much money. He's like, yeah, I can't afford this. This is crazy. You know, like I'm not making enough money. And, you know, and it, you know, at the time, like you taught me, like you know, if you're if you're an agency or you're a service provider, you have to do like a deal structure that makes sense for both parties. But you know, at the time, no one was really fusing these two different types of kind of 
kind of people, this creative, this video, this person that's really good at visually understanding the psychology of what's going to get someone to buy, and then the data-driven performance marketer. And that's that's kind of how Mute 6 was born. I ended up meeting uh, my partner at a kind of co-working facility in uh, Santa Monica through a mutual friend. He was he was running another agency, and then his, his, uh, his business partner uh, dumped him. And uh, so he was just... He's just there, and I just like kind of went in there and just kind of swept him off his feet, talked him into <laughs> being my partner, and uh, and then, yeah, and then like I guess six years later, you know, we were fortunate enough that uh, um, Densu reached out to us over uh, over LinkedIn, and it was like, and they said they were interested in buying us, and they made a really crazy offer, which I never ever expected to like ever get. Like I I, I don't I think the harder you work, the luckier you get, and yeah, and we ended up selling the business in 2019 at Densu, and to, to date, we're a, we're still a very humble, you know, hardworking, nitty gritty organization. But you know, we're 280 employees, and we have an incredible system and team, and uh, just it's been quite a journey. So let's go back to meeting your partner. I think there's a lot of um, aspiring entrepreneurs that are trying to find maybe the right partner to grow a business with. What advice do you have? I mean, how long were you guys friends before you decided to go into business together or any advice? I don't think we were friends. I I think like we saw that we had a different skill set. Like I think, and I think like if you're evaluating being someone's business partner, you know, one of the keys is to like find someone that's good at the stuff you're not good at. Like if you're not good at like operations and, you know, like finance and accounting, like I wasn't good at it and yet I tried it, but I wasn't good at it. And he was really good at it. And I think that's the reason why we worked so well together was that we were both good. We both complimented each other. We were good in areas that the other one wasn't good at. And so how did you guys get the business off the ground um, together? What did the first you know year look like? So he, he has some money saved and I told him, I'm like, this might not work. Like we, we might need to go out and like, it just might not work. I mean, for me, like I was always going to be an entrepreneur because no one would hire me. And, you know, I told him, I'm like, listen, if you want to leave, you can leave. But, you know, we, we just hustled. It was, we had like two or three like clients that hired us to run their ads. And the time Facebook wasn't like, Facebook wasn't like a platform that people thought was going to be big. They thought, oh, I run Google ads. That's where all, that's, that's the thing that, that's where all the revenue is right now. Mm-hmm. So when we first started, it was, even though we had no name and we're like a nobody, like we were able to like land, you know, major advertisers because, you know, we were going to outwork and out hustle everyone else. And, and people didn't look at Facebook as like a big platform. They were like, oh. I'll give these guys Facebook. They're not going to do much with it. It's not, it's not a big traffic channel. That's kind of how we, I always say like we got in at the right time, right place, right time. Yeah. And how did you guys come up with the name mute six? Uh, That was me. I actually had the domain name for a while. Uh, It actually means nothing. Um, I used to want to, when I was a kid, I wanted to, uh, when I was like, well, am I, teenage years I wanted to make beats I was really into hip-hop music and like I had aspirations you know you listen to like Dr. Dre you listen to all these incredible producers and you're like holy shit that's amazing it's like beats they're like so cool so I wanted to I wanted to make a website early like 2000s to to sell beats online and but the the word music.com wasn't available so 
Mute Six was music. <laughs> so music. Like, it was supposed yeah. to be music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had this domain name and and I was like, I was like looking through all my domains when I started the agency. I was like, we need to find something that's not like digital marketing or not like marketing, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of I just had I was just sitting on that for so long. That's funny. So talk about your um the culture, I guess, or the organization, organizational structure um, that you have at Mute Six. These pods, I think it's unique, and I'd love to kind of hear what your thought was behind it and how it's been going. So, we first we started, we saw like that the value chain of a digital marketing agency wasn't very aligned. We saw like you know people were getting like high salaries and, at agencies, but they weren't able to actually get a cut in the success of of the um, of the performance, the advertisers. So we started off just by working out a structure where where uh, you know our team members can make money on the campaigns that they manage. That was number one. And number two, we saw that it was really important to have a very diverse understanding inside of a pod that manages campaigns. So we we wanted people to have, you know, that we wanted a diverse people who had diverse skill sets. You know, inside of a pod to work with a, to work with clients, we saw that, you know, there might be one thing that this person's missing. There might be one thing that this person's missing. So we want to have a creative and uh, you know a team member inside, you know, creative and paid media people inside of a pod. So we thought that if you could build a pod structure that that can envision all these people together, that that's a win-win for the client. So how many employees would be in one pod? Um, depends. Usually, usually it's two to four. Two to four people. And so you're saying that's, and they're either on the creative side or paid media side. Correct. Yep. It depends. Pods are different. There's no like, like amount of people. It's just kind of like, it just really depends on, on, on the team member, on the team. So it really, it's a range. Interesting. And how are the pods organized? Are they organized by a different level of um, customers or industry? Or how do you kind of segment the pods? Segment the pods. We don't really have them organized by any industry or anything. We, they're pretty much just organized by the channel that they're working on and their specific skill sets. Oh, okay, cool. Interesting. Um so you guys have grown enormously, 265% year-over-year growth in the past four years. That's pretty impressive. Um, what are some of the key factors you think that have really led to such significant growth? It's a good question. I think about that every day of how we how we got here. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of it is the way the way we think about team members and the way we the way we kind of you know, you know, build a structure for people to be successful. I think a lot of times when someone's not successful at a, at a job or career, it's, be, it's not because they're not good at something, it's because they weren't put in the correct position to be successful. So I think mm-hmm. our, our methodology of putting people in positions to be successful is one of the reasons why we've been able to build such an incredible team and get great results for clients. And, and we, you know, we also, I think, I think it also chalks up to like having, a different type of business model. I think that we we wanted to do things differently. We we didn't envision it to do the same cookie cutter agency as all as everyone else. And we saw an early success in that. And we then we then kind of just doubled down on it. I think that 
a lot of people that run service-based businesses, they don't really move fast. They kind of just want to see success and kind of sit on success and live off success. But we, we really, I mean, I think we're, we're very ambitious group and we're very, we're a very high performance culture. And I think we hired people initially that had a very, that wanted to win and that we had a very, but there was also a lot of empathy too. Like we wanted to win, but we wanted to win with our team. And I think that camaraderie and that kind of like togetherness, like really propelled the business to being something more than just a business. And really you wanted to win, not because of you, but you also wanted to win because you know how hard, you know, the person in your pod is working, the creative person is working. And granted, it's not a perfect situation. There's, you know, we're always kind of re-optimizing the business and trying to figure out how to put people in positions to be successful. But you no, know, we wanted to really empower entrepreneurs. We wanted to build an environment, where we could get this collective talent together to really drive meaningful impact. You know, it's really interesting that you say that because I think there's a lot of people um, that work at companies that really are not being used properly. Like they have so many other skills that are just not being utilized. Um, they have so much more to give and the company is simply just not taking advantage of those. Um, when you say you put people in positions to be successful, how do you guys do that? I mean, I think that people want to see like that the work they're doing is both meaningful and there's growth to it. I think right. that that's, you know, if you look at like what, what people, what most people want when they start a new career is they want to know that a, the work I'm doing is meaningful. They want to know like there's a deeper meaning behind them investing their time into, into this situation and B they want to, they'll be rewarded for it. And there'll also be a growth to that position. And I think we built a structure, which was, very simple for a lot of people to understand where they can move up in the company and they can see like, wow, like not only is the work meaningful, but I am grown. It's, it's a grind. It, it, I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. Like some days really suck. And if you're in digital marketing and you're in this world, I mean, you work the grin. There's days which you feel like you're, you know, you're all feeling like purposeful and things are great. And then there's other days where you're just like scratching your head. You're like, what, what, what am I doing wrong here? So, but what I will say is, is like, you know, the, the most important thing is to develop this sense of camaraderie within your team and to make, and when someone is having a bad day, you know, really, really make it seem like that it's okay. Cause I think a lot of people are always scared that like, there's no empathy with other people. And I think we've really developed a deep sense of empathy within our organization. And, you know, and it, it starts at the top. Like, I, I think, you know, for you know, being able to really, kind of start with empathy and really, be, you know, really milk, bring that to the lower parts of the organization. So how do you show empathy? If it starts at the top with you, how do you show empathy at the company and infuse that in the culture? Um, I think if you get to know me at Mute 6, you, you know, and the people that I communicate with on a daily basis, you know that I'll tell you what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And I'm, you know, I'll never like kind of share a quote what, what it really, you know, what the truth really is. I think that they see that I do my best to put myself in a position of everyone whenever there is a problem and to really feel and understand what people are going through. And I think, you know, I think right now is, a, I think I'm a, you know, it's a tough time. I mean, it's, I know e-commerce is doing great. It's, it's amazing. It's, you know, it's great. The company's doing great. But for me, like I, I go to sleep at night trying to figure out like, how do I build a better team environment? I think 
a lot of people are struggling with work from home. You know, a lot of people are mute sick. It's it's really hard because like, I don't, I don't want them to be stressed out. I don't want people to be overwhelmed and I want people to put themselves first. And I think like I get on our last team call, I, I told everyone on the call, like for us to be successful as a company and for you to be successful at, at your job on a daily basis, you have to put yourself first. You have to say that, listen, like my happiness and my mental health is number one. And and it, it, you know, it definitely wears on me sometimes because I I'm a little bit too sensitive and empathetic to a lot of people, and I think I think it shows. I think when when you are a leader and you really put you know put that as the highest priority, you know, it shows. People are smart. Like they're not, especially our you know our team and most teams are really they're really smart, and they can see like if you're CEO of a company, they can see when you're real and when you're not real. And I think <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there, there's definitely you know, a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, put their kind of personal needs and their kind of like ambitions ahead of the needs of their team. And I think that, you know, I've never, I don't think, I don't think I've ever done that. I, I really, even when we did the acquisition, I really made it a priority to make sure that the team was taken care of. And because that's, that was what was important to me because there's a lot of things I could do to be successful at making money, but, you know, the, the lasting imprint, that you have in this world is the impact that you have on people's lives. Yeah. And being a CEO of being a founder and having that many employees, it's a really big responsibility. Um, so I take it very seriously every, every day. Like I don't, I don't joke around about it. I mean, I think like every single person that works for you six, like they're investing the one, their most valuable asset they have in this world. Like, the most valuable asset you have, you know what that is? What? Your time. Mm-hmm. That's the most, they're investing as valuable assets. So there's, you know, I kind of work for them. Like I kind of, like, I don't just as like, I go and look at Densu as my boss. I, I look at my team as my boss. If, if, you know, if we're not doing something to give them the best opportunity to be successful, then, then like, you know, then we're failing. And like, mm -hmm. I take that just very seriously. Yeah. Um, I agree with you completely. So, you know, with this, this many years and so much positivity with growth and numbers and everything, um, what's one of the biggest challenges uh, that you've had to overcome over the past few years in building Mute 6? Biggest challenges? Hmm. There's a lot. I think when you have success, uh, you know, in an agency, I think a lot of, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast and you are an agency owner, you know, what does success breed? It breeds lots of opportunities. And what does opportunity breed? It breeds a lot of people that want your time and like a lot of stuff you could be doing to, to get to a goal. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've had to overcome is that I had really, really, really bad focus in ADD. And like, I, I always thought there was something better or something greener somewhere else. And, you know, the reality is, is that if I put every single ounce of energy I have into this company every single day and I invest my time with my people and, you know, a good outcome will happen. And I kept reminding myself of that. Like every day where you know, have great opportunities to like invest in companies. And before I sold the business, I never invested in, I didn't invest in anything. I invested every ounce of energy. I had no side projects. I, I was all in. And I think like there's definitely a deep value in being all in on something because so many people are, are not all in on anything. They're just halfway into 10 things where you could be all in on one thing. You can see success. 
Yeah. So being acquired is a pretty big deal, obviously. And congratulations again. What has the transition been like for you? It's been great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll end it there. No, no, no. It's, you know, I'm lucky. Like we have a really awesome kind of like group of, you know, the people that acquired us have been really good to us. So, you know, they, they know that we come from a different kind of a different mold from them and, you know, they, they, you know, they prepared us pretty well. They, they told us there'd be some, you know, Dentsu is a, is a massive company. They're a global conglomerate. And they, you know, they told us, uh, they told us that, you know, there'd be some times ahead that would be very bumpy and that, you know, we're going to persevere as a team and they're going to try and prepare us as much as possible. Um, you know, it was a big deal for them. And, you know, I think that they, they've done really good work in terms of just making sure that we have everything we need to be successful. Um, it's not perfect. I mean, there's definitely times where I've gotten really frustrated with them. I'm not used to having a boss. I'm not used to reporting to anyone. I've never, I've never really had a boss in my life. Yeah. My three months of of working at Victoria's Secret, I've never really had a boss. (laughs) And even then it was like part-time and you were in the comedy club. So you didn't care. Pick up the box, put it there, pick up the box. You know, it wasn't like real, but I mean, I mean, so like definitely some humble, there's times where, where like you're humbled, I guess, by like, but you know, I keep reminding myself that, you know, I'm the controller of my outcome and I made this decision to sell the business. I don't own the business anymore. And like, it's, you know, this is the, um, this is the decision I made. I have to live with it. And yeah. I have no regret to this day. I have no regrets. I think, I think Dentsu is a great company and they, they're awesome. They've been good to us. I, I don't, I, I think they, uh, they, you know, we're having a big year and they're, they're very, they're a catalyst to that. And they've really, they really, t- it taught me a lot about how to think of things on a much bigger level, I say. Right. That's awesome. So what's something you wish you would have known before you started your business? Something I wish I would have known before I started my business. I mean, I think I went into it trying to be successful. I think I've never, I've never really had money in my life. Like I grew up very humbly and I I didn't have a house and have anything. And I think that I wish I would have went into it with a deeper purpose beyond just building a great agency and becoming financially successful. I think, you know, like, you know, I say this a lot, like some of the stuff that's really important to me is, is diversity and inclusion. I'm not just saying that, but I really, really believe that. I think that there's so many people that are super talented that just aren't getting the the same opportunity as other people. And I, I wish that we would have had, you know, we didn't pick it this way, but we had, you know, me and my two partners who, who are, who are white male executives. And I wish in a way that I could have saw like the bigger picture and kind of like went out of my way to like, you know, hire like either a minority or a woman to be like an executive with us. I just, I I think we would have gone to the goal a lot quicker. I think there's a huge ROI to be, to having a diverse, you know, founding team and, I wish I would have had that foresight to see the ROI and having a diverse minds at the top. Interesting. Um, so are you doing something about that now? Or are you able to do anything to make a change in that direction? Oh uh, yeah, we're prioritizing. I mean, we, we have a diversity inclusion council at mute six. Um, we have, we have, we have a whole kind of layout where we're really trying to really make sure that everyone has everyone at the company you know, has a voice and, ha- and can really speak out to like 
so like us, we, we've come up with a value system. It's really, you know, as, as we went through some tough times, um, June, July, it's really, it's really had, I think, a positive impact on us. And for me, like, you know, it's important to me, not only because, you know, I see the bigger picture, but, you know, I had, I had a stepdad who was African-American and I, he would tell me stories about what it was like to work in a nuclear power plant and to, to, to go, to have to deal with racism every day. So it was, uh, it really hit home a lot because I, I hear those stories and I would never understand like why, like what, why, why is the world this way? So for me, like it's kind of a mission at least to really be able to make a positive difference on that side as well. Yeah. So what's the biggest thing you've learned about becoming a leader? Um, starting and growing a business involves obviously a ton of professional and personal growth. How have you grown personally as a leader? Um, that's a good question. I think that it's more like, I think when I think of like leadership, it's less about what you say, more about what you do. I think that, you know, as I said earlier, the team is incredibly smart. They're incredibly thoughtful and they're, and everyone's always watching you. Your all your actions is, are always being watched. And mm -hmm. even whether you're on social media or whether you're, whatever you're doing. And I think being very empathetic to that, that like, you know, I'm going to, because I run a big company, I'm always, you know, I'm going to have a lot of people watching me. And I think as a leader, I became more empathetic. That's one thing to talk about something. It's, it's a bigger thing to actually do it. And I always want to be thought of as a leader that actually does stuff. And that's, that's the big, that's the big kind of learning is like, you know, you're, you're judged by your actions and not by what you say. Right. And how do you work to improve yourself so that you can best kind of lead the company? Is there, you know, do you have any morning routine? Do you have some kind of like, you know, meditation practice or what do you do to kind of stay positive and, and improve yourself? Um, I do have a morning routine. I, I wake up every day and I do meditation. I also do the Duolingo app. <laughs> I have like, I'm really, I love learning languages. I'm very what language are you learning? Uh, right now I'm learning Polish. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going? Uh, challenging. It's so, I mean, I just started it. So it's not really, I started with Spanish and I, I, I finished all the Spanish courses and now I'm like, all right, well, what's a language I'll probably never use? Uh, Polish. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like German. It's a little Germanic, uh, Russian, but yeah. So I don't know. just, it kind of gets my mind at peace. I also love like boating. Mm. Um, you know, going to boat every week and just being out on the water is just amazing. And yeah. Just the escaping, turning the phone off. So I think that the best thing I could do to like really be at peace is just turning the phone off, which is obviously not easy. <laughs> <laughs> if you could change anything about your entrepreneurial journey, what would you have done differently? I don't think there is anything I would do differently. I don't, I don't really live with any like regrets. I think I kind of went in, you know, I went in and accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. I guess in a way I'm a very simple minded person. I just, I had a big vision and I still have a big vision. I, I, I think I have a big vision of like, you know, positively impacting the world. And so I don't think there's anything I would like change. I would just say like, you know, there's a lot of stuff I would change and, not really my entrepreneur journey, but my personal journey. I'd say, like, if I go back in time, I, I, sometimes I feel a bit ashamed of my childhood about the type of person I was, and you know, I wish I wish I was different. Like, I wish that I can go back and you know, 
change to that stuff. I never wanted to get in trouble in school. I wish I would have been a, you know, just been a more thoughtful person and not always had this chip on my shoulder and like, but yeah, I don't really have any changes specifically to that. But it sounds like that same chip on your shoulder as a kid is really what kind of drove you this whole time. Do you think? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I don't like put a lot of thought into it. 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 It, it definitely. You know, just. I, you know, it definitely makes me want to push as hard as I can. A lot of the time, and I get very hard headed sometimes. And you know, but I think a lot of that is just you know, this deep desire to win. I just, you know, I, I don't like, think like anyone who becomes an entrepreneur, you know, what comes with that is like a deep desire to, to be the best at whatever you're doing. And I think for me, like that's whether I was like playing ping pong or whether I was, you know, whatever, like, like I, I want to win so bad every day. And that's always been apparent. So you, I think you took zero funding from investors to build Mute 6. Is that correct? Zero funding. Zero funding. Um, that's incredible. And so now that you've sold your company, do you think you're ever going to start another company again? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love <laughs> this stuff. I'm addicted. Like, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a good investor. I hate investing. I can't sit by this. I mean, I do invest, but like, I like operating. I, I love this stuff. I love like seeing through an idea, and you know, I I, I can't. You know, more and more when you have a big kind of like liquidity event per se, you see like the greater purpose and what you do is not for financial reasons, but because you really enjoy what you do. And I, I love, I love what I do. I love working at Mute 6. I love, you know, having entrepreneurial creative projects that I do. And I just, I love the, the act of it all. So real quick, just going back, cause I remember, you know, you started a company before it tanked because of the economy you had to close it down and then you started mute six and obviously it was very very successful i think a lot of people that go through that kind of you know turmoil of um you know losing a company in, in a way you know building something and it all going to shambles it's hard to kind of peel yourself off the ground and say hey let's build something again what I know that you had some stint in comedy. Do you think that's what really kind of healed you a little bit to start your next thing or what helped you, you know, transition your mindset so that you'd feel ready to go to build mute six? Yeah, definitely. It was comedy. It was definitely having a very getting out of the business life. I think that if I just went from like my last, my first company to mute six, I would have, I would have been just a mess. I would, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of stuff. You know, I wasn't sure of myself. I didn't, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't love myself. And I think being able to take a step back and really evaluate what was important to me in my life at the time was really important. And, you know, you don't, you don't need to be anything to anyone. I, I just think like, you know, you don't, you could be the person that you want to be. And I think that's the number one thing. If, if, if I wasn't an entrepreneur, I'd find something else to be happy with. I, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty happy guy. I just wake up, I wake up every day excited about the day. And I just, I think that's always been me. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just think like, I, I didn't have to be an entrepreneur. I didn't have to be successful. I would have found something else. I could easily have been happy working for someone. If, if, if I could have found a job at the time before I started Mute 6, I would, I'd be happily, <laughs> like, I didn't become an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur is cool. I just did it because I couldn't find a job. <laughs> Do you think you're unemployable? Um, at this point, 
probably unemployable. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like, maybe like a restaurant. I, I, I had an idea. I wanted to go when the restaurants get back into full swing of things. I wanted to maybe go work and do something else for a little while. I was thinking about maybe going to go start a coffee shop or something. And, uh, <laughs> you know, did something just like, kind of like, cause I think that's the spice of life is change. I think change is, change is cool. It, it's, you know, I had, I had a lot of like trepidation about what's going on after mute six. I, I have a very close knit relationship with every, a lot of team members and, you know, very, they're the greatest people. I know a lot of them and, you know, I'm very like scared, I guess, of what comes next. And, you know, what, what, what really like kind of made me excited was like just the next chapter of what, what do you want to do next? Yeah. So you're excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the, the those books, those books haven't been written yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time on the show. Do you have any um, final advice? You've already shared some awesome insights. Do you have anything you'd like to say to any aspiring entrepreneurs or, you know, business operators out there listening? Yeah. You don't, you don't need to find the idea thing right away. You know, you could, I think that everyone puts pressure on themselves to figure everything out right now, but we all have time on our hands and, like, you know, there, it takes time to figure out your path and your mission. That's it. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for sharing your awesome story on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.